electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the Nasdaq market side overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Tim Seymour. He'll join us in just a few moments. Tonight on Fast, the nightmare before Christmas. Retail in the red with just 12 shopping days to go until Santa arrives. We see a miracle on 34th Street before the big day. We're breaking down that trade. Plus, break out your passport. We're going global. The chart master sees a world of opportunity in this beaten down trade. The one place Carterworth says it's time to bet on. And later, Time Magazine. Magazine naming Elon Musk person of the year, but our traders have uh, some different ideas who they think should have taken the crown. We start off tonight with the clock ticking toward one of the most critical Fed meetings in years, just over one day and 20 hours until we learn just how aggressive policymakers are willing to be in its taper. Stocks pulling back today ahead of that meeting. So what is the setup heading into this high stakes meeting? Guy, and we say high stakes because a lot of banks out there are saying, they expect the Fed to double the pace of taper, which, I mean, the markets probably won't like. You say high stakes, Mel. I say hi and welcome back. We missed it. We had a bunch of <laughs> substitute teachers in last week. <laughs> Listen, yes, is an important meeting. Absolutely. I think what they have going for them, they being the Fed, is they couldn't have been more. It was probably the most hawkish uh, we've heard them in the last maybe decade over the last couple of weeks. So I'm hard pressed to believe they'll be more hawkish than they've been, which will be good for the market. But it is an important meeting. Absolutely. And if you don't believe me and who am I? Listen to James Gorman, who just had an amazing interview with Wilf. I mean, he said a number of things, not least of which, you know, the Fed's behind the curve. They should start hiking sooner rather than later. And oh, by the way, and this is what I love to say, they should be doing what's best for the economy and not be such a slave to the market. That I'm paraphrasing. So if the Fed actually does that, isn't that bad for the markets, Tim? I think so. And, and I think volatility is way too low considering the amount of Fed we're going to have. I think central banks around the world are, are in different places, but they're all leaning in one direction other than you know, the, the emerging market central banks are, are just interesting because they've been aggressively hiking rates for, for months, seemingly Mexico, Russia, Brazil. Um, but I think the Fed, which, you know, credibility wise, we've we've questioned the word transitory for a long time. But it, it's amazing how quickly that that about face turned. And, and to the extent that I think the markets are, are very concerned, look at the 10 year and look at the two year. Uh, it tells you, you know, look, we got up to 73 intraday on the two year on Friday. Uh, we're down a bit off of that today, but uh, a major rally in the 10-year, meaning bond yields went lower, and the sense is that the Fed has to move aggressively, and that ultimately it will be bad for the economy. Um, and at this point, I, I think if you think about inflation that uh, a lot of people really have never experienced before, um, some parts of it aren't going to change overnight. Commodities and, and some of the supply chain disruptions, I think actually there's going to be major relief from, and that will come from a slower economy that eventually will come if the Fed has to move too quickly. Are the risks to the upside or to the downside at this point, Karen, in your view, ahead of this Fed meeting? Uh, I think probably to the downside. I mean, I think today was a combination of Omicron, which um, 
you know, you could say maybe it's more mild, but it's certainly more transmissible. But if you look at, you know, uh, companies announcing you don't need to come into work and, um, you know, uh, hotels and airlines slowing down a little bit. And so I think that was part of what weighed on today. I think the rest is the Fed. I think they've done an outstanding job of telegraphing. They are, I think the most likely outcome is, or is an increased taper by as much as, you know, twice as fast. And I think that it doesn't matter how bad this variant is. I think they're on that path and they got to stay on this path. But I also think that is probably a negative for the market. This can't be the only pullback to the Fed turning around from highly accommodative, which they still are, right? Obviously, it's a very, very accommodative position. It's just no longer uh, no, actively easy. They're turning the other way. So th I think there's still more downside from that. But for me, when I look at what happened with the variant and what happened with, I think, with the Fed, I want to be in low P.E. stocks and I want to be in um, out definitely out of high flyers. And I think we saw that today and we saw the meme stocks sort of come undone, which is interesting and adds to the sort of retail selling. I think that begets more selling. And so I want to be in the old boring. Right. That's where I want to be. And I ultimately I want to be in banks, which I'm in. It'll be maybe painful if the market's down, but the low P.E. And I think this, the curve ultimately will steepen. That's how I'm positioned for both the variant and more the Fed. I mean, you stick, do you stick a fork in the high flyer names, Dan? Do you stick a fork in the high valuation names? That trade is, is over officially with the Fed? Well, I, I think the trade to the downside is probably getting very close to over, and it probably ends at some point early next year. I mean, pretty soon there's no one left to sell Peloton or those left to sell Zoom or some of these other names. And, you know, listen, I, I think the problem you have right here, your question to one of the panelists earlier was, is it a problem for the markets, the stock market in particular, right, if you see the Fed get uh, more hawkish? And, and I would say, oh, of course it is. I mean, look, look what's happened in the Russell 2000 and small caps are down 11.5% in just a few weeks from uh, an all-time high after it broke out. It finally confirmed all of those new highs. We had 67 of them this year in the S&P 500. I think that's the most in decades if you exclude 1995 here. So there's an over-exuberance in some of these kind of, the, the very names that I think Karen's talking about, right? It's these low PE growth names. It's Apple, it's Microsoft, it's Google. Um, I could make the argument that even where rates are right here, they're not particularly cheap and they're particularly dangerous if you consider about how much money is concentrated in them when you consider the weakness of small caps you consider the weakness in some of these high growth high valuation names in SPACs in reaps in IPOs in meme stocks something's coming undone here it's been coming undone for months and there's just one last shoe to drop and don't think that this Tesla closing below 1,000 for the first time in a very long time is not going to be one of the last battles fought here so I think we're kind of we're trotting out to that battlefield right now and i think that the stuff that's been killed for better part of the last six months it probably does okay on a relative basis to the stuff that everyone's been hiding in in the stock market uh, one of the big problems with with those particular trades coming undone is that a lot more households a lot more individuals are invested in the stock market wells fargo had this really interesting stat out chris harvey who comes on the show frequently wrote that as of September 30th, 24% of household assets are in equities, which is the highest reading going way, way back, if not a record. Um, and so the, the, the trick for the Fed is, can the Fed actually prick the inf inflation bubble, the price inflation bubble, the consumer price inflation 
uh, bubble that we're in without pricking an asset bubble because the consumer is feeling the pain from inflation, but will feel the pain from asset uh, assets going down, asset deflation, if that happens, Guy. Absolutely. And that's part of the, That's been one of my concerns for a while. I mean, what effectively they've done, they being the Federal Reserve, and this is just my opinion, but I think whether intentional or not, they forced people out the risk curve. And now people are probably farther out on the risk curve than they've ever been. And unfortunately, due to inflation, especially over the last few months, I think a lot of people tried to find the other side of that, a way to help that or sort of uh, take the other side of that pain in the equity market. So unfortunately, I do think a lot of people got into the names that Dan was just talking about at the exact wrong time. To answer your question, that's going to be the trick. Are they able to navigate that to thread that needle? I don't think so. I, but I will say, and Karen nailed it, they've done a remarkable job up until now. Yep. From what we can expect from the Fed, let's bring in CNBC's senior economics reporter, Steve Leisman. Steve, um, you know, we called at the top of the show one of the most important Fed meetings, and we say that a lot about Fed meetings. We don't really mean it about all of them, but this one seems particularly important. This one in particular, because of what the Fed can or, and may say about the pace of taper and what this means for the markets. Yeah, and I think it's more than that, Melissa. First of all, when I say it's the most important meeting, I mean it all the time. I, I don't, <laughs> Every single time. Uh, I don't make okay. it up. I, it's just one of, those, <laughs> one of those things. I just, you know, whatever I'm working on is the most important thing ever. So um, I think it's not just the pace of taper. I really think the $30 billion taper is fairly well baked into the market, Melissa. I think the more interesting wild card question is the pace of rate hikes that the Fed itself dials in to its... Um, strategic, sorry, uh, economic projections that come out uh, on Wednesday as well. How many hikes does it see in 2022? How many hikes in 2023? And how far is it going uh, in terms of hitting its neutral rate? And, and I think there's even a, a more important question, which is, given what's happening with inflation, will the Fed have to sort of pull a Volcker and raise rates above that neutral rate in order to slow the economy and combat inflation. That's a longer way down the road, but we asked that question. Uh, there's the hike probabilities right now. You can see what's more or less built in. Uh, pretty much by May or June, you get your first hike. Pretty much by September, you get your second hike. And then the market's kind of arguing over whether or not it can slip in that third hike next December 2022. But we asked this question, Melissa, um, of our Fed, uh, uh, a response to our Fed survey. And, and we said, hey, will the Fed have to raise rates above the neutral rate and slow the economy? And there's a debate about that. Forty five percent say yes. Forty eight percent say no. So uh, that's something that's down the road in terms of will the Fed have to slow the economy? So what is consensus now on, on the street as far as you know, it, Steve, in terms of the expectation for rate cuts? I, I saw Bank of America, I think, is eight by the end of 2024. Barclays is nine by the end of 2024. So right. I'm just wondering how <clears throat> how much faster the anticipation is at this point on Wall Street. Well, I can I can tell you real quickly. Um, I. December was back in September. December was the first rate hike. Now it's June. So that's six months yeah. earlier to begin with. We have in our, in our survey three built in next year, three built in the year after the year after that. So we get to 150 by 2023. Ultimately, we get to two and a half, 2.3 by 2024. So there's a long way to go. But I just want to throw out one idea here, which is that um, even while the Fed uh, is raising rates and stopping QE, 
it's still going to have a $9 trillion balance sheet. The idea is the Fed is not, there's no consensus now the Fed will let its balance sheet run off. So that'll be a plus or some kind of support for equities in the months and years ahead if it doesn't reduce that balance sheet. There is some thinking that the stock of what the Fed holds has a powerful effect on markets and rates in addition to the flow into it, which is going to stop when they end QE in March. I get that in theory, but I mean, I mean, Tim, I'll go to you on this. Right. Um, you know, it, it's really the markets care about the hikes at this point. They don't they don't want to intellectually know that the balance sheet is still supportive of equities. I mean, they want to know that, but it does. That's not going to to change the direction of the trade if the Fed is going to say they're, they're going to hike faster. No, I, I think that's right. And, and, and again, I think the market is, is not prepared for a Fed that's going to hike faster. I think Steve may be right on where they've managed expectations on, on the taper. Um, I, I mean, the question is ultimately, though, uh, I, think, I, I think at some point investors um, could start to really question whether the Fed has, has been accurate all along. And, and so we've all uh, we, we've gently applauded the Fed here. But, but how could they have gone from being, you know, so unaware or so indifferent or or ambivalent about inflation to where they sit today with, you know, record inflation or at least 42-year inflation. That, that doesn't doesn't add up. This didn't just happen. Um, we've been talking about this for a long time. So at some point, I think the market gets concerned. And if you think about where we were in December of 2018, and I don't want to be alarmist, but the market lost all, you know, sense that the Fed was really uh, acting in a world where the skies were blue. Um, and in that sense, in some sense, it was the Fed that was moving too quickly again. Um, so at some point, the Fed being behind the curve means they will have to move too quickly again soon. And that, that's what I'm worried about. And I think a market that's this far ahead, and Dan pointed out the damage below the surface, uh, I'm worried about we haven't even seen that. And we've all talked about this. This isn't my idea. Um, you know, Apple's at all-time highs. Um, the S&P's just off of all-time highs. So um, I think credibility with the Fed, maybe that's the wrong word, um, but the Federal Reserve, how could there be such a mismatch, maybe the greatest mismatch between where central bank policy is right now and the strength of the economy? I think the market's going to be worried about that. Hey, Steve, it's Karen. Let me just jump Tim, on that credibility I, question for a second. Uh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I'm interested in your question. I'll get a comment. I'll make it later. Okay. Um, so the credibility question, now that they've made this very, you know, Powell has been very forthright in what they intend to do and Master and others have backed this up. What, if anything, could throw them off this path? Or do they just have so much their credibility completely at stake? Doesn't matter what the jobs number is. Doesn't matter what the virus does. They got to go forward. Look, it all depends upon what kind of Fed you want. Do you want a Fed that knows everything is going to happen and sticks to its guns no matter what or one that changes on a dime? I, I think you could write uh, the same story about Powell and come to two different conclusions. One is that he missed it, he messed up. The other is that he's the guy who's shown that when the facts change, he changes his mind. I, I was just going to point out to Tim that we started the year at one point. 6.8 as of February, we're 1.7% inflation. So this recent rise, Tim, is relatively new. And it happened while the Fed was still trying to figure out that um, uh, whether or not Biden was going to pass this new fiscal stimulus thing. So, yeah, the Fed is late, but not crazy late. And in answer to Karen's question, what could change the, the dynamic here? Look, if all of this talk about the Fed... Um, creates uh, has an effect on inflation, has an effect of the market helping to break uh, the inflation and, 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 and the open mouth operation works 
uh, then you could get into a situation back, you know, in June where inflation is beginning to come down, which, by the way, is the forecast of a lot of people. Then the Fed won't have to do as much because it's going to do more a little earlier. All right. Uh, Steve, thank you. Steve Leisman on the sure. Fed for us. Um, I think the horse is out of the barn, so to speak. I mean, when it comes to the market believing Powell and inflation and his forecast, I mean, I think I, this is just I'm coming back and I'm, I'm going to say an opinion. I think that I think the markets already think that Powell got that wrong, that the use of the word transitory was wrong. And the fact that he dialed it back the last time he spoke was the right thing and showed that that maybe he misforecasted how long and how sticky this would be. Fascinating. To Karen's point, though, did they retire transitory? Did they ring the bell in terms of retiring transitory? You know, we're going to start to see the numbers go the other way. I think that speaks to Karen's credibility question without question. The other thing is worth mentioning, because why not? But something that we call TIPS, the Treasury Treasury Inflation Protected Securities, it's easy for me to say. I mean, 30-year yields have never been lower. We're talking about real interest rates as negative probably as they've ever been, which we probably should talk about more. And it just goes to Tim's point about them being so far behind the curve. Again, just my opinion. Yep. All right. Coming up, a retail wreck. The XRT ETF dropping more than 3% today as supply chain issues weigh on the industry. We're breaking down the move in just a few. Plus, Kathy Wood's ARK Innovation ETF seeing some huge outflows this week. The fund nearly 40% off its February highs. So it was the worst over for the group. We're diving into that trade next. Don't go anywhere. Much more fast right after this. Imagine a beautiful afternoon. The sun is shining and you get to enjoy it all because you just sat down on your John Deere mower. The smooth ride lets you escape into your yard. Intuitive controls make you feel like you're one with the machine. And with attachments for every season, you can enjoy it all year long. We could keep trying to put you in the moment, but to really understand what it's like to drive a John Deere mower, you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out ARK Invest's flagship ARK Innovation Fund dropping more than 2% to kick off the week. After today's losses, the fund is now down more than 40% from its February highs. And according to the NASDAQ, it has seen more than $96 million worth of outflows in just the last week. Check out the performance of some of the fund's top 10 holdings since those highs. Teladoc down nearly 70%, Zoom down 57%. Roku down 53%, Exact Sciences down 50%, Twilio down 40%, the list goes on and on. A lot of things have to go right for this fund to get back on track. Any of the names, though, worth watching? Tim. 
Well, you know, it's interesting because Tesla's the largest position in there. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's almost been the bedrock. And Dan talked about maybe, you know, that's the last battle fought. But um, interesting, that's actually been defensive on a relative basis. I like Coinbase here. And it's had this massive round trip. And it's had this massive round trip from, you know, effectively 240, 230, uh, 220, to 360. Um, some of this in line with the move in, in crypto prices. And I think uh, on the way up, we noted that it had actually lagged some of that bigger rally. But um, I, I think, look, a handful of these stocks are the, you know, the poster children for where we've, we've questioned where high multiple stocks can be in a post-COVID world. Um, I do think that there's a ton of momentum associated not only with these stocks, but with this ETF. And in the environment we've had, again, this is, this is not a move that we've seen overnight. But again, of those names, Coinbase is number two positioned. And, and I, I like that trade. Dan, you, do you think we see some sort of bottoming process for, for some of these names in the next month or two? Yeah, I think a lot of the ones that are down 40, 50, 60 percent, I mean, again, you know, you're going to see some kind of hate selling into year end and then you'll probably see some outperformance early in 2022. And, and there are plenty of names in that portfolio that are great names to bet on long term. You know, my, my take on Kathy Wood is, is kind of simple here. She just has the wrong vehicle for her time horizon and for the way she wants to manage risk. And you can go back to the financial crisis. You can look at Ken Griffin, you know, one of the most successful hedge funds uh, managers ever, he was down 55% in 2008. And so, you know, Bill Ackman of Pershing Square have had some horrible years, but their investors have stuck with them. They kind of re-up it away. The problem with her ETF is that she has to rebalance it continually. And when you look at the largest holding in that ARK ETF, which is Tesla, which is up 36% in the year or so, she's probably up less than that in it because all the rebalancing and everything that she has to do with it. So that's kind of my take there. But I'll just say, names like Shopify, great company, bad valuation. She's probably right on it long term. Um, let's get to Mike Co now and see what's going on with the uh, ARC options. Mike. Yeah, so we saw ARC puts out trading calls by about 3.3 to 1. In fact, the top five ARC options contracts were all short dated puts. The most active of those were the December 90 and 94 strike puts. Those expire at the end of this week. Just under 11,000 of the 90s traded for about $1.22 a contract, and just under 10,000 of the 94s for about $2.60 a contract. Obviously, buyers of those put contracts are betting that ARC could see continued weakness through the end of the week, targeting move of about 5% or more to the downside. But I should say that ETFs typically will see more puts trading than calls, unlike single stock equities. And the reason for that is that a lot of investors like to use ETFs to hedge their portfolio exposure. That is a good point there, Mike. Thank you. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Last question here, and I'll pose it to Karen. No music yet, please. <laughs> Last question, I'll pose it to Karen. <laughs> what? Forced to, choose, forced to choose for a three-month trade. I know that's not necessarily your style, but for a three-month tra trade, right. long or short arc? Well, I'm short IGV, so that would say short. They are cor highly correlated. Okay. Guy, how about you? I love the fact that you told him to stop playing the music. I mean, it's like Academy Awards here on a Monday I, night. I I'm got with, back from vacation. I'm, with I know, I'm bossy now. Go ahead. No, I, well, oh, I mean, now, now you're bossy. I, I would say this. If you, you know, exactly. I mean, Keith Richards, Keith Richards. Keith Jackson used to say the Rose Bowl was the granddaddy of them all. Well, in terms of the ARK ETF, Tesla is the granddaddy of that ETF. And, you know, you give up that prior all-time high, which comes in around $900 or so back in February, then Katie barred the door in terms of the ARK ETF. So I'm with K-Fine. All right. To be super bossy, 
Now let's have music. <laughs> We're just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. Is China's comeback on the horizon? The chartmaster thinks so and says it's time to go long. He's breaking down the key levels next. Plus, we're driving into Rivian as the EV maker captures Motor Trend's truck of the year. So fasten those seatbelts. We're charging up for that trade. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Fast Money. Retailers getting whacked with just 12 days to go until Christmas. Check out the retail ETF XRT sinking more than 3% today. Department store stocks getting hit particularly hard. Macy's, Kohl's, Nordstrom sinking more than 6%, while shares of Gap and Burlington also ending the day in the red. Karen, what do you make of this wreck? I think pretty overdone, actually. I know you, there's a lot of things you can point to that there's inflation and the consumer has less money and that, you know, the variant is going to cause people to not shop as much and supply chain, all of that. I mean, if you look at the move in the XRT in the last, I don't know, not very long, two weeks, it's gotten crushed. So that's interesting to me. I always say it's interesting when things start trading down in integers. So today, I mean, I'm long target. That hasn't traded well at all. That's my biggest retail and Home Depot and Lowe's, which is housing and retail. But I bought some Foot Locker. I bought some last week. I bought some today. It's crazy cheap. I know the big bear story is, you know, Nike is one giant supplier, but it's just ridiculously cheap. And it could have traded lower, of course. But at this kind of valuation, three times EBITDA, it's ridiculous. So I'm happy to buy some of those. I haven't bought more Target. I think I will because I think even in a in a slower Christmas, if we get that, then from where we are now, that they'll still do well. The stock's not expensive, and actually Walmart, and I know Tim has been on the Walmart out outperforming Target now trade, mm -hmm. so that's sort of working. But I have much bigger Target than Walmart. I like retail. Yeah, um, you know, Tim, we're getting a lot of questions on Twitter about Macy's. Um, high of, what, 37 or so, and now trading about 25. What do you think of it here? I like it. Uh, you know, um, I have some December 17 positions um, somewhere, you know, in the money, but barely at this point. Traded out of most of them. I, I, so I technically I'm long, although they're almost worth nothing. Um, they, I, I think you, they're worth the price of the stock, I should say. Um, you know, you've got a case here where uh, I think the valuation there is very interesting. They, they weren't helped by Nordstrom's print. Uh, they weren't 
weren't helped by some of Cole's prints. Um, I think you have a dynamic where still a lot of people look at the department store space and rightly point out that these are these are businesses that at least were, were broken structurally. Um, I think the same thing is, is with a gap. I mean, you know, some of these are stories that have already run two, three hundred percent off of those bottoms where they are companies that people questioned really whether they, they had a life ahead of them outside of uh, a brand. Yes. Um, but really a, a, you know, a retail footprint that had to shrink aggressively. So um, I, I do think there's parts of retail. Um, if you look at the XRT, first of all, um, remember when the, XR, the R in XRT was, was, was Reddit. And, and I think if you look at some of the pain that's going on in some of those names, some of that is bleeding into that ETF. Um, and then getting back to the high quality names like Target and Walmart um, and Home Depot and Lowe's, as Karen pointed out, these are, these are stories that um, have had such an enormous run. Walmart, no. The others, yes. Um, that a little bit of a pullback here is not necessarily a change in character. I think you have to be careful. I don't think that the health of the consumer let's be clear, has not changed at all in the last two months with or without, without these inflation prints. So th- I think that's a head fake. I don't think you should be saying that that's a function of where retail is going in the short term. I feel like there's a have at it in Dan that's going to come out in this conversation. If you want to trade these stocks, have at it. I don't know, Dan. I don't want to put words in your mouth. No, go ahead, Mel. You're being a little bossy tonight. I'll say whatever you want me to say. Um, no, but have at it here. No, I mean, listen, you know, I, I know that like, here's a name that I know that Tim likes dicks here. And, and that stock is down 30% in the last couple of months. It's round trip, a, a, a move over the last four months that looked extraordinary. And there was insider buying at the company last week. Look at the breakdown in some of these things. I think the story very quickly in retailers was just how heavily promotional they had to be. And I don't agree with Tim that the consumer is in the same spot that it was two months ago, you know? So to me, I think that uh, consumers are, excuse me, uh, retailers started to pull forward a lot of demand very early this season. The discounting has been extraordinary. I think it gets worse as we get into January. I don't think this is a place you wanna be in Q1 of 2022. All right, coming up, is the China comeback upon us? The chart master's making his case to go long after a rough year for the group. He'll break down his call, plus all green lights for Rivian as the EV maker wins Motor Trend's truck of the year. So is there a new EV king in town? We'll ask the traders in just a few. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We are taking a trip to China. The FXI China large cap ETF fell a percent and a half today, bringing its 2021 losses to more than 18 percent. Despite spending the year in the red, the chart master says now is the time to buy. So let's get to Carter Worth of Worth Charting. Carter, what are you looking at? Uh, well, before we look at the charts, that 18 percent sounds real good compared to the Zooms and Pelotons and other things down 70, 60 and so forth. Um, it's important to know that uh, first charts are about the Shanghai Composite. And this is a heck of a setup. If you look at the week-over-week performance, the breakout potential here in the Shanghai versus its action to the Kospi or the Nikkei, the Taiwan Straits, let's look at the next chart. It's the exact same chart, just longer term, meaning there's a lot of tension to break out when you've been at a top for more than 10 months. Those peaks are back in February. Next chart is the exact same chart, weekly chart, with lines drawn a different way. Doesn't matter what you call it, it is a formation that more often than not is resolved to the upside. Final chart for Shanghai, and then let's talk about the FXI. This is the all data chart going back to 1990. I think we're gonna make a move towards the upper band. You have two converging lines. Uh, Again, the relative performance to other um, Asian bourses is quite good. Now the final chart is a comparative chart, and this is, this is the issue. This is the relationship between the Shanghai Composite 
versus the FXI, the iShares China large cap ETF, which correlates more to the Hang Seng. But at this point, um, if you look at where stocks are in relation to their sort of capitulation low, July 27th, we're basically only 1% lower than that. Um, and most stocks are holding above that critical summer plunge. I think the basing process is underway and that it's right to be contrarian here and buy FXI. All right, Carter, thank you. Carter Worth of Worth Charting. Um, we got to go to the ambassador on this trade. Tim, what do you say about China, FXI? Well, first of all, our central bank conversation is relevant here because they're the one central bank out there of the biggies that actually is cutting rates. So to some extent, they're, they're, they're having to do what it takes. And of course, the other side of the macro story in China is, look, uh, the biggest position in there uh, is Tencent. The third largest is Alibaba. The second one is Metuan. So, I mean, I think you've got a case here where you have to believe the pressure is off these national champion companies or are they national champion companies? Look, I like the trade, especially at, at this point. We're starting to see some bottoming in that chart. Um, I, I think you don't need to own it. And again, as we've said, you could see a very vicious upside rally and still be in a downtrend. So um, you don't have to get this one perfectly. Would you take a shot? I mean, I thought it was interesting that Carter put in the context of some of those, you know, ARK Innovation ETF names being absolutely crushed. And then you have FXI and it's down 18 percent. You're like, oh, that's just a walk in the park. That's no biggie here, guy. Uh, the last show you appeared, Fast Money, was December 3rd. I believe it was a Friday. On that day, Alibaba traded down to 108.70 on about 70 million shares. Felt like capitulation to me. And we've seen that a number of times since Halloween of last year. So is this an opportunity? Yeah, you've had a number of trading opportunities in Baba. So I'm with Carter. Carter is worth listening to. I see what you did there. Clever. <laughs> Coming up, a big win for Rivian as that company gears up for earnings later this week. We'll break down that trade ahead. And later, Elon Musk named Time Magazine's Person of the Year. But our traders have other names that should have taken the top spot. We'll bring them to you when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Rivian is revving up shares of the EV maker, riding higher today as the company wins Motor Trend's 2022 Truck of the Year. Let's get to Phil LeBeau, who's got the details. Phil. Melissa, this is one of those awards that when people hear it, they say, whether it's Truck of the Year, Car of the Year, whatever it is, they say, wait a second, why did they pick that particular vehicle? And in this case, for the second time in two months, it is the very first vehicle coming from a company. Remember last month, it was the Lucid Air winning car of the year. Well, now it is the Rivian R1T that is Motor Trend's truck of the year. I've had a chance to drive the R1T, and if you do drive it, you will notice that it is an unusual vehicle in the sense that it's not like your typical pickup truck. That's what stands out about it, both in terms of performance, both in terms of the features that it has, uh, many of the unique properties behind it. And I think that's one reason why the editors say, hey, look, this stands out as one of those vehicles that we think is a cut above everybody else out there. Remember, it was picked over the Ford Maverick, which is an internal combustion engine vehicle pickup truck, the Hummer SUV, which is electric, but it's not a traditional pickup truck. Uh, nonetheless, a nice award for Rivian and the R1T. Delivery started in the fall. We'll get an update in terms of deliveries as well as reservations. At least we're expecting that on Thursday afternoon after the bell. That's when Rivian reports its complete Q3 numbers. They gave us preliminary numbers during the IPO. So the numbers are not going to change, but it's what RJ Scaringe, the CEO, says during the conference call with analysts. I think that's where the real news is going to come out on Thursday afternoon. By the way, 
this is the beginning of what's going to be a massive run for electric vehicles in terms of new models coming into the market and what's expected to happen with EV sales. We think we're probably going to get about 460, maybe 470,000 uh, EVs being uh, sold this year. Could come close to 500,000, but probably not going to get there. Over 2 million are expected to be sold by 2025, in part because you have new models like the R1T coming into the market. As you take a look at shares of Tesla, Ford, GM, and Lucid, the others who are playing in this EV space today, yeah, they were all under pressure today. Uh, but it has been a nice move, Melissa, over the last couple of months. Watch what happens here over the next six months to a year, because when you start to see not only the, you've got the R1T deliveries, you've got the Lightning, F-150 Lightning delivery starting. We're going to see the E-Silverado early next year, and then the Cybertruck late next year. So it's a fun time when you're looking at the pickup truck market. Fun, 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 especially for you, Phil. Thank you, Phil LeBeau. It's a ride in all those new cars. Um, so the question here is, you know, can Tesla hold on to its share or does it actually lose it? Is, is the pie growing fast enough? to absorb these new newcomers, or is it fixed or, or not growing fast enough in terms of the new players? And so Tesla loses share, Dan, what do you think? Yeah, listen, Mel, this is purely anecdotal. I got a Ford Mustang Mach-E fully electric. This was back in March, and I'm actually about ready to get rid of it, and I'll tell you why. It's not about the car. The car's a great car. The battery stinks, and if you live in a place like New York City where there's no real battery station or, excuse me, charging station build out for anything other than Tesla, it's just really hard. If you're going longer distances than just local, it's really hard. The battery has gone from 300-mile range in the summer to about 200 in the winter, and so it's just a problem because Ford and a lot of the Tesla competitors have not built out those charging stations and no one wants to sit around and wait for an hour as they're trying to get to grandma's house uh, over Thanksgiving or something like that. So to me, I'm punting it. I'm getting rid of my Rivian um, deposit here. At some point in the next few years, those those uh, charging stations will be built out. It's just not ready yet. You are an early adopter right now if you're going away from the te uh, Tesla charging station. Um, Karen, in terms of Ford Rivian or GM Rivian, I mean, this vehicle that we're speaking about in terms of Rivian is a pickup truck, and that should be Ford's big entry into the market. It's pickup truck, which is the, you know, the F-150 is the best-selling car in America at this point. So electrifying that seems like it should be a slam dunk, unless you factor in maybe a slicker, cooler Rivian pickup truck. Right. Um, that's available I, I, sooner, right, than the F-150, which has been the best-selling car for years. I think, you know, it is it is a threat to Ford for sure. Also, those are such high-margin cars, but GM as well. Those are really high-margin cars. However, to get your earlier question, I think the pie is definitely growing. So I think for Tesla, that that's not a problem. I think, you know, the question to me is like a Rivian valuation. It's already putting in there a lot of things going right, that they get share and that they get production, right? We know they have orders, but outside of, outside of Amazon, do they get share and then can they produce? That's a bigger question to me and I feel like the valuation is putting a, a lot of uh, positive outcomes already priced into that valuation, but right. not into GM or Ford. And it feels like we've been down that road before in terms of questioning whether or not a company can actually execute with Tesla in terms of its production Bumps. But Rivian is sort of a different animal at this point, you know, at the point at which it went public. It's got Ford as a backer and it's got Amazon as a backer guy. 
And so I would posit that maybe they've gotten the production thing, and I don't want to say under, you know, under control or whatever, but probably a better grip on it at this point than, than maybe a Tesla had at this point in time in its public company lifetime. Yeah, no question. I think the market's rewarding them for that with a value with a market cap that I think approached 140 billion or so dollars a couple weeks ago, and it's still north of 100 billion. And listen, I know what you're getting at. You know, you could have made the same arguments that people, the negative arguments now about Rivian, you could have made five years ago about Tesla. I get it, and we probably will have that conversation uh, on our 20th anniversary of Fast Money about Rivian. But right now, the way to play it, I still think, is Ford. And Tim has talked about this. Think about this for a second. Ford was down a dollar today, and it's still north of 20 bucks. Last time that happened was, I think, in 2001. It speaks volumes as to what Jim Farley is doing there. So I think the, stay, the way to play continues to be letter F. What number anniversary are we coming up on in January, Guy? If we make it, and I mentioned that last if week we, in your absence, <laughs> if we make it to January. You never know, Mel. I mean, anything. television's a funny business. Sure. You never know. They can pull the ripcord at any time. It will be 1-5, 15 years, Big half one of five. 30. Yep, 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 1-5. All right. Well, I hope we make it. It's just a few weeks away. Coming up, Elon Musk named Time Magazine's Person of the Year, but our traders have some better ideas who they think should have taken the crown. We've got all that and much more. Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site. And we come right back. Welcome back. Here's a sneak peek at the Kramer Cam. Jim is talking with the CEO of MongoDB. You can catch the full exclusive interview at the top of the hour on Mad Money. And don't forget, you can have Kramer delivered right to your inbox at the CNBC Investing Club. Sign up now with all the info on your screen. Well, time is naming Tesla CEO and SpaceX founder Elon Musk because it's 2021 Person of the Year. Dan, what's your two cents on this? My two cents, Mel, is this the mother of all tops? I think back to 1999, Times Person of the Year, and I love Time Magazine. It's a great publication, and this is not a reflection on anything. But Jeff Bezos was named the Person of the Year in 1999. We know what happened after that. His stock lost 90% of its value over the next three years until it bottomed in late 02. And then also, this Apple. $3 trillion thing on Squawk on the Street or Squawk on the whatever this morning. They were tracking it as it got to $3 trillion. Seems kind of toppy to me, but kudos to Time. Kudos to Elon. <laughs> well, um, Time magazine aside, we wanted to put our spin on this. So we wanted to see who our traders would have picked as their person or people of the year. So, Guy, why don't you kick things off? What's your pick? Well, in our, in our silo, you know, in terms of companies and stocks, I picked Safra Katz. Look what she's done at Oracle since she took over in 2019. Look at that stock performance. By the way, she took over at a very critical time in their history. Obviously, Mark Hurd had passed away. Very, very difficult trying times. She turned that boat around, and look what the stock has done since. So she would be my selection, Melms. Tim, what say you? I think it's not even close. I think Microsoft Satya Nadella has presided over, first of all, the, you know, has reascended to the top of the most important tech company in the world, maybe the most important company. Uh, it's a combination of as the business has been transformed into the cloud, as the workplace has been transformed at least somewhat into the home, uh, add in security, uh, Windows is the gift that keeps on giving. It, it's extraordinary uh, where Microsoft sits now. And five years ago, they didn't sit here. And in fact, you know, six, seven years ago, this 
stock had not even broken through the highs of 1999. So it's clear that Microsoft um, has had the biggest move, I think, in the last year, and therefore the CEO is the, is the reason for that. Dan, you certainly didn't like Musk as a pick, so what's yours? I did like Musk as a pick. I mean, I'm perfectly happy with Musk as a pick. It's really what it says about the investment environment. And what we're talking about is person of the year as it relates to markets. I think Kathy Wood deserves this. And, and, and it's a complicated one because I think she really encapsulates a lot of the uh, investor excitement about um, stocks, about their products, about the investors or, you know, around them and, and about some of the entrepreneurs who started these companies. And, you know, she's been steadfast about these emerging tech themes, whether it be crypto or EV or disruptive tech. And right now she doesn't look so hot, right? But at some point she will. And it really comes back to time horizon. So I'm not touting her right now. I'm just saying it really is this moment in time we have a retail investing craze. She is really the spiritual leader of it. So Kathy, to you. Hmm. Interesting one. Karen, one person wasn't enough for yeah, you, yeah. so we bent the rules. No. What are your two people? Yeah. Thank you. Um, mine is Stefan Bansell and Albert Borla of um, Moderna and Pfizer, respectively. And the reason is, obviously, the vaccine. And I know it came out last year. We saw the data last year, but it wasn't really widespread. It was just really to healthcare workers. And then this year, it became a obviously a, a more accessible and we started to get a lot more people vaccinated and so it allowed us to really look through and think okay there will be an end to this we're not there yet obviously but the idea that we will get back on our feet companies will get back people will go out again right things will get done and that i think we had obviously was great for moderna and good for pfizer stock but it was far more broad than that. It was about returning the economy to a sense of normalcy, which is so much broader than just those two companies. And so the market is up 24 and three quarters percent for the year or so, give or take, maybe a little less by the end of the day today. So to me, those two had the most impact on the markets. All right. Very nice pick, guys. Um, we've got news on GM, um, MGM. Excuse me. Let's get to Contessa Brewer for that. Contessa. Hi, Melissa. Well, MGM Resorts has decided to sell the Mirage, that iconic Las Vegas Strip property, for a billion dollars in change to Hard Rock Resorts. Uh, this is the resort that you might know as the big volcano on the Strip. It was opened in the early 19, uh, the late 1980s, I should say. Um, it was designed and conceived of by Steve Wynn. And so now the MGM Resorts is saying that it's going to sell it for a billion dollars. Moving on, focusing on now on the Cosmopolitan. Melissa? All right, Contessa. Thank you, Contessa Brewer. Up next, we've got your final trades. Trades, Tim. Coinboys is almost fully round trip. That's sixty percent move. Karen. Yeah, I went home long and I bought more today. Footlocker. Dan. Carter's FXI. Guy. Great having you back, Melms. Take a look at BMY. Good to be back. Thanks for watching. Fast to see you back here tomorrow at five for more. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range, 
and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.